It's Tuesday, May 24th, 2016, and you're listening to episode 401 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 43 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. My name is Pat. Alrighty, so the Fear the Boot Patreon is off to a roaring start, and some of you will be getting this show in its raw form. Anyone that backs the Patreon at a pretty low level and above will be getting the show raws from now on, so you'll hear Pat's... No shit! Yeah, (laughs) so you'll have heard that without a bleep, and... uh, Awesome. All of our side tangents and such. You lucky (laughs) motherfuckers. So they will be the only ones that ever hear Pat. Yes. Yeah. You'll you'll know the truth of it now. Like I said in the other episode, that Dan deletes 90% of my content. That's not true. That motherfucker. I bleep. Well, now the audio editor bleeps 90% (laughs) of your content. That's right. Chris, I cut 90% of his content. Ah, yeah. But for another reason. Is it really content? Because it's interesting. (laughs) No. My content gets cut because it's too interesting, and it it overshadows Dan, so he cuts my shit. Uh, now you're gonna know the truth i don't think you've ever talked this much on the bike i before. know right i'm excited because now people get to hear me <laughs> and then also if we hit the second milestone then we will be starting up an actual play stream probably on twitch and actually looks right now mark dinah who is one of the lead authors on Shadowrun, is going to be running a Shadowrun game for us so that should be interesting if you guys want to hear us play Shadowrun and do it straight with one of the people that wrote it so you know the rules are going to be right. And we're hoping to do it in the form of a live stream, though there will be a recording that should be around at least for a while you can catch. But we're going to do it in the form of a live stream. So if you have your own questions or comments about Shadowrun 5th Edition, then you'll have an opportunity to throw them his way and see what he's got to say. I wonder what kind of goal we have to get to force Chad to play in that. Hmm. I have never played Shadowrun. I haven't either. So I think that would be really you've never any edition. No, I haven't. I haven't played it lately, mostly because for a while John and he's since repented of his ways, but always Chad. So for John for a while, and then Chad kept vetoing it. Mm. And so the last time that I played Shadowrun was third edition Uh with my prior gaming group, and I have not played it since then. So I own fourth edition, and I just got a copy of fifth edition. But I've not played it since 3rd edition, so it'll be interesting to see how that goes. In similar news, while I've been sitting on the books for a while, so I've known what the content was, I actually just finished my first sitting of D&D 5th edition. Excellent. So move from one 5e to another. And i got to say, I like it. The general things that we've observed about the system and we talked about in our interview with Vincent Venturello all hold true and all work very well. Narrowing of armor classes, characters having more hit points, the simplification of the rules, the simplification of the gear system, where now instead of buying 100,000 different items for your basic adventuring kit, you just get a basic adventuring kit that has your bedroll and torches and flint and steel. I understand the people that criticize it, though, because they want something different out of it than what I want. I always hated the feet trees, Yeah, trying to figure out what feet I needed to take to get which one. And having to get to that level of planning. And I know a lot of people feel like they had a lot more abilities when they had all of the feats. But I like the feat being gone. Oh, I I do too. And I I would hope that most people do. Because one of the things I always hated about 3rd edition or the D20 system with the feat trees is if you want a certain thing, 
then you have to follow a very rigid and exacting path through the feats to get there. And if you don't, you won't be able to do it. Now, chances are you're probably not going to make it up 20th or whatever level to get there anyway, because most campaigns don't. But if you do, you have to be careful, because if you make a mistake at 5th level and take the wrong feat, then you're not going to get your top-level feat that you wanted. And I thought that was total bullshit. Yeah, even like at five through ten, you had to plan those out when you start yeah. taking those. You know, and what really sucked in the example I was saying is like because most people, unless you're a hardcore campaigner and you're playing where, by God, we're going to start at whatever you know first level, we're going to play all the way to twentieth. Chances are you're probably going to play five, six, maybe ten levels, and then it's going to something's going to happen. It's going to peter out, so you're not going to ever get up there anyway. And the that you were planning for all the it's all the shitty feats that you have to take at the beginning anyway <laughs> it's like i don't want these they suck but i have to take them because i want to get power cleave at whatever <laughs> level so and then it's like you're stuck you play all these retarded feats down there that you don't really care about instead of taking some of the other ones that sounded cool but i can't take them because they're not on my feet chain they're not on my path to glory you know i don't dislike 3x by a search of the imagination we're talking about Three, three, five, or Pathfinder 3.75. I'm a a big Pathfinder fan. I I really enjoy the system. I just like 5e better. Well, I don't even know that I would go to say that. To me, they're just different. I mean, I do certainly have preferences amongst the editions. For example, I can't stand 4th edition. Oh, no. No one can. It's an abomination. But... With 3.x and 5th edition, I simply see them as different kinds of games. That if I really want to dive into the crunch, into the numbers, into a lot of detail, then you still have Pathfinder 3.5 that are available. But if you want something where it's more like you just kind of give the game the spin you want for your character that I want to play. Like in this campaign, I'm playing a thief, and I never play thieves. This is literally the first thief I've ever played, I believe, in my entire gaming history. And I'm playing a thief, and I specifically wanted the thief to have sort of an assassin spin to him. And so right there. There's a set of abilities. It gives me a progression. It gives me bonus gear. I pick my background. You know, well, where did he come from? And right there, there's another set of perks and a bit of gear and whatever. And I think it really finally clicked with me when we were playing our first combat. The GM asked me, why do you not have a weapon in your offhand? And I said, well, because I've got to imagine that there's probably... Three feats I've got to take. Because and, you've been conditioned yeah. through four different versions of D&D that, there's that, gonna be that s- punish you rectally <laughs> for, for wanting to take that second hand Yeah, weapon. and so I'm expecting that there's got to be this chart of different penalties based on what abilities I do or don't have. And they're like, no, all that changes is the weapon in the offhand does not get a damage bonus from the stack. That's it. So in my case, I was using finesse, which is no longer a feat. It's just an option when you use the weapon. So I just chose to use dex instead of strength on the weapons. And all the changes is I don't get my dex bonus damage in the offhanded weapon. That's Mm -hmm. all the changes. And it's like, wow, that is incredibly simple. And this game is a whole lot less daunting. And I think in some ways, I don't know if I want to say confusing, because I think Pathfinder is well thought out. But there's just a lot to keep track of. I think at the higher levels, things would be very different. Starting off at level one, though, comparing a Pathfinder level one character to a D&D 5e level one character, I feel more adventurous with a yes. D&D 5 character. I think, if nothing else, the increase in your damage output and the increase in your hit points, plus the fact that death now 
has that little mini game where you have to go through a certain number of failures before you actually die. It's a little bit harder to die off to a slightly skewed attack. As long as the Chaos Mage doesn't roll well, badly. Yes. You know, I mean, l- let's just be honest. D&D finally realized, you know what, we have a whole player base that never plays anything. They don't start a goddamn character below 5th level because they're too goddamn weak. So let's make a system where finally we'll get these bastards to start playing from level 1. Because, you know, you talk to most people like, yeah, you know, we start like level 3, 4, whatever. It's like you don't even know what a, a level 1 character is, is. Might as well. It's in the womb. Yeah. That's where my level one character is. It hasn't been born yet. I don't do uh, level my characters one with are born at level four. I've never with Pathfinder with second edition D anD D. I was a big believer in level zero characters, where you start off before you even have a specific class. Now in Dungeon Crawl Classic, I'm a big believer in level zero characters. Well, you don't have a choice if I'm running it because then I get to kill a lot of characters. Yeah, you don't have a choice. In be Dungeon honest Crawl. with you, though, the, just in talking about this, don't you feel a little bit dirty? With it being so easy, like the offhand weapon and no. the more hit points. I mean, because we've been conditioned to know that it's you're supposed to be in pain. I mean, we've right. got GMs like John, who, yeah. you know, who's going to say this is bullshit, and you, you guys are all pussies. You start at level zero, and if you've got one hit point, suck it up. And you know what? You're pansies. <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't feel dirty in the least, Pat. And uh, let me explain why. My, like it dirty. my first 5e campaign ended at level two with the TPK, and John was running it. I was going to say, yeah, John would have been proud. And right. Yes, he was. He so was there. I got my start with video gaming <laughs> back in the early 80s uh-huh. with the Atari 2600, Apple IIc games, the original Nintendo Entertainment System. And while I think the term came late, there is this term that still floats around to this day of Nintendo Har, which is a reference to how difficult some of those original NES games were. Battletoads. Uh, Battletoads being perhaps the most famous, but many of them. I mean, try playing Contra without the 30 lives cheat. Oh, good lord. Ninja Gaiden. I couldn't get anywhere in that yeah, game. Yeah, I mean, those games are difficult. And the reason I say I think it came late is because if you look at the computer games or Atari games that preceded the Nintendo, they were oftentimes just as hard, if not harder. The original Bard's Tale was freaking brutal. I mean, you went down into that first dungeon and you just got your ass kicked. Never actually played the original version. It is really hard. I mean, it is unbelievably freaking hard. And you now move to the modern day where you have sliding difficulty scales. Yeah. You can have a hard game if you want, yeah. but you have a sliding difficulty scale. You can save often, and so you can save scum if you want to. The saving is one of the biggest differences. And they just mm-hmm. largely tone down the difficulty, and it doesn't bother me because I'm able to enjoy the story instead of just... Beating your head against the wall. Yeah, looking for cheat codes and save yeah. scumming you to know try and get anywhere. So You know why I love the sliding difficulty levels? Because if it's a game that has a lot of story that you actually have choices that make a difference. I'll play through the first time at one difficulty level. After that, I just want the rest of the story. So I crank it way back down so I can get through it faster. Mm. Yeah, it was, I think, Mass Effect 3 that had a no combat mode, if I'm not mistaken. Really? Yes, I think it was Mass Effect 3. I think you're right. I think that was the one that had a game setting where you could play story only. You could also play combat only, if I remember right, where you could play... Only the combats and the story decisions were templated, but they had a, another way you could play the game where it was story only. And so you would oh only get God. the role play sections 
and it would largely skip over. Chad would love that kind of game. That is Chad's wet dream of a video game, because that's exactly what he was doing with Blades in the Dark. I, said, it, I know he said that, but I couldn't do that, because I know, personally, when I play a video game like Mass Effect or or whatever, where you've got the story content, I love the story content, and that's great. But I am just, while I'm sitting there reading it or listening to it, I'm just sitting there with a the controller in my hand. My thumbs are twitching. I'm just starting to twitch, waiting to get back into it and to kill things. So I never tried the story-only mode, but I'd always pictured it as being like a Japanese visual novel or like one of the uh, Japanese dating sims where <laughs> things are happening and it comes up and you make your choice. And you laugh, but it's oh, Mass Effect. Exist. I know they exist. Yeah, I understand it. But, I'm just yeah. trying to picture Honey Pop with... <laughs> Liara. <gasps> That's not really a Japanese dating sim, though. But well, no, I. But now I'm picturing that too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mass Effect is a good example because wow, we just face it. we just cut out like two minutes there because we were all just sitting around going, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's face it. Mass Effect for a lot of people is about the relationship choices. Anyway, so it really does oh, fall into the for me. Japanese yeah. dating it, sim category. Finding you know. Shepard's OTP. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I mean, definitely, I love the story in the game, so I love relationships and all the other things, but I want to play the combat, too. Oh, I do, But too. I've always been that way. The fans can attest, I've always talked about the fact, I love D&D for the fact that I like the system, I like the combat system, the crunch of it, because I enjoy the combat. If you take the combat away from me, I don't like it, and that's sort of a big contention I've always had in the past, like with Chad, because Chad loves... RP only. He would love a game that is completely RP, no combat at all, or if it is, you just talk to it and say, we did this, we had this great fight, I swashbuckled, I describe it, but I, I overcame and I defeated my enemy. To Chad, that's great. That's not me. If I'm not rolling dice and using the tables and the system, I'm not happy. I'm with you, Pat. What I've always found amusing about Chad is the guy that doesn't like combat, because he doesn't like combat, has tends to have the most effective combat characters because he'll go out and he'll find people to help him put it together to min-max it. Yeah. So he can just get it over with as quickly as possible. Yeah, he's a combat monster. Yeah. yeah. What he doesn't understand is when somebody's game mastered for him, that means they now have to increase the difficulty and complexity of the combat to account for that character. Right, yep. And so, actually, in truth, it really just moves the problem back a step. It does, really. It doesn't fix the problem. <laughs> but, no, I'm completely with you, Pat. I fully believe that there are a lot of ostensibly pure combat games mm-hmm. that could be played without combat. I could run a Battletech game where you never see a mech. But having said that, if Why I was would playing... You want to? That's kind of what I'm yes. getting at. If I was playing or running a Battletech game, I would want to get the mechs involved. I would yeah. want that to be part I, of the I game. So sad. Even though I fully believe the universe is sufficiently rich, you could tell a story, a very good story, oh, without them. And I think that's where like novelizations come in, though, too. It's like... If that's your thing and you love that universe, read the fiction that they've written for it and experience it that way. I mean, if you're playing the game, man, play the game for God's sake. All right, so for our game topic today, we've been talking about gaming, so for our larger (laughs) topic today, Wayne, you threw out an idea for improving people's games through the stoplight. Yeah, so I got this idea from work, and I don't know if it would work or not. I really don't know if gamers could handle the concept. Yeah, let's start with what is the stoplight. (laughs) So the concept is it's a red-yellow-green exercise where everybody that's part of a group sits down, you look at everyone else in the group, and you come up with three things. The red things are three things that you want them to stop doing. Yellow are three things you want them to continue doing. 
and green is three things you want them to start doing. And then each person goes around the table and does that for, you know, you pick one person. Let's say, Dan, we were going to go first on you. I would give you mine. Pat would give you his. And then you'd kind of look and see, are there any trends among these? Does everyone say... I play Knowles too often. Absolutely not. But I mean, I, I understand. We wouldn't say that. In theory, yes. Or but... maybe a better example would be on the green. Everyone says, I should play more gnomes. Yes. So, okay. And for example, the guy that always plays the Dex Thief, you yeah. say to him, the red is, uh, whatever you make, don't play a Dex Thief. The green is, I want you to start playing characters that are a little bit better integrated with the party. The yellow is continue to provide good backstory yeah the thing that kind of befuddles me about this is how people don't get butthurt yes i have trouble and you said this is going on right now at the company you work for it's just a normal exercise they do because that is the culture everyone is used to that openness so it's not out of the ordinary me being new at the company i'm at that concept kind of blew my mind. Have you gotten sure. one of these yet? No, I have. You well, got- actually, the reviews are kind of like that. So without the yellows, basically our reviews are, here's three things you do well, here's three things that you need to work on. Well, that would be, I guess, the yellows and reds. Yeah. Without the greens. Without the greens. So oh, uh-huh. I say I have trouble believing that most people would respond to this well. I have to imagine that you get one of a couple responses. A massive cycle of depression basically self-loathing i'm terrible everybody hates me or lashing out self-defense lashing out in anger and self-defense or going into denial you guys are all wrong and you don't understand because the idea that someone would look at this in a self-actualized fashion and say yes they have a point and i need to work on this and maybe everyone also has to have their list ahead of time because if you're sitting there and you look at me and say don't play bards and i don't have my list i'm writing in don't play a knoll. <laughs> Just to be a dick. Just to be a dick back to you. I don't know how you do this. I don't know how you get it started. Because with a gaming group, I cannot imagine introducing that concept into an existing group that's been playing like, or just like with us that we've been playing for 20 plus years and you've never done this. That's a hard thing to start. I, think I if, mean, did they drink Kool-Aid in your company? I mean, what, what, I, you know, what, how did, you know I, I get it that it's the culture. And, and yeah, if you start it and that's the way it is, you'll get used to it. But damn. I think if I tried to bring this to a gaming group, just knowing me, I probably would leave off the reds. And just do a, here's what I'd like to see you continue well, and doing, that's, and here's what I'd like you to start that's doing. That's a good idea. And I would try actually. to find a way to get my reds into the greens. There, yeah. Yeah, because the reds are, to me, that's the bone of contention, honest yeah. to God. I mean, you know. When I was in college, I was taking, I don't remember if it was English composition or English lit, some kind of English class. And I decided to play a language game of my own. I was metagaming the class. And so... I said to the couple of folks that were sitting around me, I said, you give me something to say to the professor, and I will go up and say it in such a way that the professor won't take offense. And so I think what they picked was the story we were currently reading through was like total crap. It was just horrible. And so I was able to find a way to phrase it such that I could say it to the professor without the professor batting an eyelash and me saying it. And I do have to wonder if one possible way of dodging the likely butt hurt is to not do the reds, but to rephrase the reds as greens. That's exactly. So instead of saying, stop playing the same obnoxious loner ninja thief, you say something like, I want you to play a character that's 
slower paced and deeply dependent upon the party. Yeah, since Chad doesn't listen to us, instead of saying, Chad, I want you to stop playing the loader, you say, Chad, I want you to play a character that is integral to the group. That depends upon the group. I want you to start preparing game notes. You know, along those uh, lines, so I had a buddy once that was on the phone with HR, and he managed to work in the phrases community bicycle and three-way action into the conversation. (laughs) And as soon as he hung up the phone, he just slides his chair back, and he's like, you know, victory lap, goes outside, runs down the hall, comes back in. Wow. That's awesome. Getting, you know, high fives from everyone as he goes around. Wayne, you've not seen this actually done yet at your work? No, I haven't. Because I would be fascinated to hear how this actually works in practice. Well, we're going to be scheduling them. But, but here's the thing, though. I, the more I think about it, you get past the sticker shock of it at first. The more you really think about it, it's psychologically, it's a great thing. Because really what you're getting at is eventually when people start doing this, and they do become more open, and they do become more communicative with each other, and they start expressing, these are the things that I have that can bother me. And instead of just bottling them up and repressing my feelings about it and having that kill me slowly from the inside, I can get it out and we can have a community of openness, and we can talk about it, and we can basically build a better community, whatever that is, a business or a gaming group or whatever, where let's talk about stuff, people, instead of like the, we're going to talk about, this one person when he's not here so that he's not here to hear it and we're going to air all of our grievances right so he won't get butt hurt while hearing it well that's never going to fix anything yeah because I, he or she are never going to know because we don't have the balls to actually say it yeah. i love the idea of it as a communication tool i just have that same fear of you know the butt hurt Another thing that I like about it is when Dan says, don't play bards, then you write in, well, fuck you. I'm going to say, don't play Knowles because you're, I'm going to be a dick right back to you. I think what you're going to see is at first, yes, you'll get some of that snarkiness. But then yeah. eventually people are going to realize, oh, okay, well, if I'm a bitch, then everyone else is going to be a bitch to me. So let's do this for really what it is. Let's buy into it and let's use this as a productive tool instead of just a chance to be an So the things you're going to come up with are going to be more, well, this is constructive criticism, not destructive criticism. I think there is certainly something to be said for the attitude of the person writing it, that you have to be willing to write it in such a way that you think the other person is going to take it well. Right. You're writing it with their feelings in mind of saying, okay, maybe there's something here I need to communicate. Maybe it is something that's negative or at least negatively slanted, but... I need to communicate this in such a way where I'm not just attacking the person or a reasonable person would receive this well. Right. Well, and the original and that's exercise what... is three, three, and three, but that doesn't mean you'd have to do three, three, and no, three. No, it could be one. You could do one three, two, and one, where one is the negative, two is the uh, continue, and three are the yeah. start. Yeah, or... or even one, three, and one. Since yellow light is the best part of what I want you to keep doing. To me, the overall goal of this is, especially in your workplaces, yeah. is to force the communication. Well, it's to force communication and it's also to force people to think about other people's feelings and not just yourself to me this is a an exercise in not being selfish in being less selfish being more selfless because you are a community you are a, an organism that is all working together to try to accomplish something as opposed to a group of individuals that only care about themselves wow i'm getting deep in this one <laughs> I, i'm i'm gonna have to go home and look at some porn because <laughs> 
Me. You were just looking at porn. What do you me, mean go home? Hold on. Yeah. Yeah. Right there. Let, me, let me get a little You were literally here. passing around pornography. <laughs> I, I, I got to get my right fix before here. before we started recording. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit. Man, let me see. Uh, speaking, oh, okay, I feel better. Speaking of which, I need to play it for you later, Pat, but <laughs> Amanda sent me a video about big boobs that I was supposed to play for you. Nice. Right. So, <laughs> all right. So, Wayne, another thing that I was thinking about as you're talking about this is another way of possibly lessening the blow is to, and Pat, don't don't add that one to your search, is uh, <laughs> making it future-oriented instead of past or present-oriented. So, for example, with the red light item, instead of saying something like, I want you to stop playing the same kind of character, which sounds like an attack on what they are doing or have been doing, you instead say something like, I don't want you to play this kind of character with no reference to any particular accusation. I mean, I know by nature the red items are things you want them to stop doing, and you can't stop doing that which you're not already right. started doing. So for example, but at least the phrasing makes it feel better. For example, I could say, Pat, for the next game, I don't want you to play a rich guy. Mm-hmm. Now, I wouldn't say that because we need a rich guy, and you're doing I know, well. right? You know, but, somebody's got to pay for the we get into exactly but <laughs> that would be an example yeah. of next game i want you to be poor don't play rich guy as opposed to stop playing rich guys or don't play another rich guy you know you could phrase it in a way that looks more to the future mm-hmm. than attacks the present or the past even though in truth you're communicating the exact same thing i mean there really is something to be said for it's not what you say it's how you say yeah. it it's all about getting over that you're sitting with a group of friends and you don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. You don't want to. It's all about having the balls to stand up yeah. and actually say, hey, I have a little feedback. Yeah. And I don't think people do that enough, at least in my experience, people in groups haven't. No. So having some sort of a tool or exercise can really draw that out of people. Well, let's be honest. How many times have we been in a gaming group where something was going on that really bugged us, but we never said anything because of the fact that we didn't want to rock the boats, start yeah. a fight, create the drama. Yeah. But, like all of us ever, and but, everyone listening, yes, everyone's been in this situation. But the end result is you enjoy the game less. You don't yeah. like what's going on. You don't like what you're playing. You don't like what you're dealing with because of the fact there's something going on at the table. And we've been talking about players, but you could just as easily do this with a game master. Oh, sure. You could yeah. say, you know, I'm getting tired of this type of NPC or this type of encounter or this type of plot structure, or this is what I'd like to see you develop more, or whatever you want to talk about. But I think all of us have sat in games where we were fundamentally unsatisfied with the actions of the players or the actions of the game master and really didn't have a mechanism in place that forced us to communicate those truths. Yeah, and at least a couple times I've seen that reach the unfortunate conclusion of somebody has let it get to them and get to them and get to them and, and get they to freak them out and then snap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're yeah, out sure. of nowhere. Now something that shouldn't have been a big deal yeah. suddenly is huge because it's been built. Exactly. All this time. That, that was the point I was talking about earlier. You know, I have to say the more I think about this, the more I, I really want to try this exercise. I think it's a good thing. I, would I be- think you can have some great benefits. I will be fascinated to hear how this turns out because I certainly think there are some people within your gaming group that are going to respond to this better than others. 
and some people that will engage in it in more good faith than others. Yeah. Well, Pat, oh, Pat, Pat, Jen, I, I usually all have knives on us. So, oh, exactly. That's... Again, when I first heard the concept, I reacted negatively toward it because I'm like, oh, yeah, the same reason you were saying about it. It's like, wow, that's just the butt hurt that you're talking about. That's going to be a big thing. But I think what you need to do is you have to sit down as a group and discuss it, sort of like what we've been doing here, and come to a understanding of the merits of what it's trying to accomplish. I, and if you can do yes. that, and everybody can buy into it, then we're like, oh, I get it. We're not trying to be assholes to each other. We're trying to be helpful. There was a Hessian general in the Revolutionary War who was hired to train American soldiers. <laughs> and there's a sort of folklore story, maybe it's true, I don't know, that he had to adapt to training American soldiers because he said, when I'm in Europe, I say we're going to do this, and we do it. But with Americans, I say we're going to do this, and then I have to explain why we're doing this, and then we do it. And if that was unique to American culture at one point in time, which this German certainly thought was the case, but I don't know if that says a whole lot coming from a German, but it certainly is not the case anymore. And, Pat, I think you're absolutely right that if the group can come to a shared understanding of what the point is of this, that this isn't an opportunity to attack everybody this isn't an opportunity to air all kinds of grievances, yeah. but rather this is an opportunity to, to have better games, to have better games. Yeah. Exactly. Which may require a change on somebody else's part. But also, it's not just about focusing on the red light. It's about focusing on the things you'd like to see them do or you see them doing already and enjoy. And I think if people have some kind of a shared understanding of these are the kinds of things I need to write. This is what I'm trying to accomplish. And when I read my stoplights, these are the reasons they were written. Then that's got to help people in terms of their psychological perception of the feedback they're getting and also the psychology that goes into the creation of that feedback. Well, I think it also helps as it's coming out. Let's say I'm sitting here and I've got this issue with a player and I'm thinking everyone has the same problem. But you go through this exercise and you find you're the only one that brought it up. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's not that player's issue after all. It's just yours. Maybe that's yours. Yep. And that's another way I think it helps is seeing what does everyone else come up with because you should start to see trends. Mm -hmm. The trends are the things that you would focus on right? versus kind of the one-offs. You know, this is going to be a piece of advice I think is going to depend on the group, but in my take, I don't think these things should be discussed after the fact. I think before the fact, they actually should be. But I think once I have the cards in hand, unless I don't understand what was written, like I don't follow the comment, I don't think they should be discussed. And the reason I say that is because if I say, well, Wayne, what did you mean by this red light? Or why do all of you guys have a problem with this? What I'm setting up right there is I'm inviting a dog pile. And once that dog pile begins, I'm going to get more offensive. I'm going to get more angry. Yeah. Whereas if I just see it and say, okay, I'm either going to accept this advice or I'm going to ignore it. But it's just there. It's a note card, right? You know a person wrote it, but you're not actually dealing with the social act of being dogpiled. It strikes me that it would head off some fights. And I realize this is going to be different for every group because maybe some groups will do better if Everyone talks about it because maybe somebody that wrote the card just has a really rough tongue and 
was a bit too blunt and maybe you need someone in the group who's a bit more diplomatic to reinterpret it in a way that's more palatable. But for me personally, I don't think I'd want to discuss them. I think I just want to see it and if I understand it, process it and move forward. I can see that. You would lose the aspect of hearing what everyone else had added for a person, but it's all about what are you trying to get out of it. Yeah, well, and if I see the cards, I mean, if there's five people in the group and I see that the same comment is on four of the five cards, then I know what it is they all see, what it is I'm doing that annoys them or that they like. I mean, it could be a yellow light or a green light thing. I've been struggling with what you're saying, Dan. I understand why you're saying it, but I think it goes into the execution of it is how you would execute it and get different for every group. But yeah, I'm just not sure. I don't know where I fall on that. I, I think I would want to talk about it because I think that's, I think it is the point to sort of foster again, fostering the communication, sort of fostering a dialogue. But uh, because what you don't want and what I would be afraid of would happen in the case you're describing, Dan, is that the sun you have simmer. Right. You have the potential of, okay, I've got my cards. Here's all these bad things. And I'm just going to take those off and I'm going to internalize those and just going to fester about it. You wouldn't want that to happen. That's exactly completely counter to what we're trying to do. Yep. And the thing to remember, too, is that the bad things by our nature as humans, maybe not everyone, but I know at least me and you, Dan, have oh, yeah. this, the bad things are what we're going to focus on. Yep. Oh, oh, same which here. Isn't I am the, too. Which isn't the intention. The yeah, the, the good things, it's human nature. You can be praised all the time. For you your, build a hundred bridges, but... <laughs> one goat, you know, that, and you get one negative comment for a, every hundred positives. What are you going to remember? That negative. Yep. That, you, know, you could hand me a it. card that has ten green lights, a hundred yellow lights, and one red light. And I guarantee you the first item I'm going to read and the one I'm going to contemplate the longest is going to be the red light. Because that's your failure. The way we work. I mean, you know, when when something needs fixing, you know, I I, I get feedback like you need to go correct this. These things you need to fix. That's I can't do anything. I get that back. I drop everything and I fix it immediately because I'm like, I can't stand for it to not be right. I make it right as quickly as I can. Yeah, one thing that might also be interesting to this, and uh, I'm reminded based on the review process, is filling one out for yourself, too. Mm. What do I think I do well? What do I think I should be doing? And what do I think I'm bad at? You know, actually, I have to wonder how many problems that alone would head off, because I think something I've seen in a lot of the people in my life I've had real ongoing issues with, it's not the fact that they're imperfect, it's the fact that they have no self-awareness. That is one thing I actually pride myself on is when I've done these type of exercises, I know how I suck. Yeah. I know exactly why I suck, and I'm pretty good at figuring that out. I'm really bad at figuring out what I do well, and I'm really bad at figuring out what people think I'm doing well with. But I know where I suck. Yeah. I feel that I'm the same way, Wayne. When it comes to that kind of thing, I am not... Doesn't mean I can fix it, but I know it. I I am by no means one of those people to think, oh, I I don't have any flaws. Oh, I know I, I know I have the well, I, I know I, I know I agree with you, Pat, but I think the thing I'm describing is not exactly that, because I've talked to a lot of people over the years that seem to have intractable problems. Okay. And the issue is not that they don't think they have any flaws. It's if you ask them what their flaws are, they are so out of touch yeah. with reality that mm. their flaws are, I don't know, they're belligerent, they're angry, they lie too much. But if you ask them what their flaws are, too quiet. I'm too quiet. I show up too late. All these things. It's like, 
No. It's not true. Maybe it's yeah. true, but like this is such tiny issues compared to your central problems. Right. And it's that lack of self-awareness where I think it would almost be interesting to hear what somebody thinks their problems are. Because, I mean, most of the really irreparable relationships I've had in my life, that's what it stemmed from. It's not that they have problems. Right. It's that either, A, they don't recognize what the real problems are, or B, in some minority of cases, they recognize the problems but have no interest in fixing them. Yeah. But I found more often than not it's the first. They simply, they won't even acknowledge the real issues. Yeah, and I think everybody has maybe that to a certain degree. You know, some far less than others, but yeah, I would say, even for myself, I will go out there and say, I know that I probably will have, you know, there may be an issue where if you were to ask me that same question, I might not hit one of the ones that you think is, is bigger on the scale. But as soon as I hear it, I'd be like, yeah, I get that. And that's the thing about it. It's like, I don't think that most of the time I would deny it unless it was just one of those out of left field. But then that comes from if you say, well, Pat, you know, you have X issue and, and it's just this is a horrible thing. But then we have a group of uh, around the table and the other five people say, yeah, I don't think so. I don't get that from Pat. Then that's becomes an outliner. It's like, well, OK. Well, you know, the other but, yeah. thing is, if you do one for yourself and you share it, then people can start to realize what you think you don't do. Yeah. And that so, does pull it in. I mean, it, like you say, it pulls in this self-awareness thing. I, it's a good idea. I, I work again. In, so I work yeah. in IT. I've worked in IT for my whole career. There are countless people I have worked with that are incredibly technical people that think that they have no technical skills. Mm-hmm. And when they put on their weaknesses, that is one of the things they put on their weakness, where what I would put on their weakness is self-confidence. And it would always be interesting to hear someone say, oh, well, I don't do voices really well. I'd be like, no, I love your accents. I love your voices. Yeah. You know, why do you think you don't do them well? Do them more often. Yeah. Sure. So I want to talk about, in closing, maybe something we should have talked about up front. Which... Chris's video being played at Gen Con? Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> yes, we should talk about it. Yeah. That. Uh, so, yeah, let's make a quick aside here, a nice interruption in the middle of the topic. And I'll put a link to this in the show notes so you guys can go see it. But Chris did a video called It Figures. I believe it it figures. Name. It was a short film where he used little, like, dollhouse-type sets and Star Wars action figures with some voice acting from various people in our community to do a short comedy about sort of, you know, game table foibles. Mm. And he submitted it to the Gen Con Film Festival for this year. And his movie was accepted into the list of Gen Con films that they're going to be showing at the film festival this year. And that also does apparently put him in the running for some kind of prize or award. I'm, I'm not clear on the details, but I do want to stop to congratulate Chris on being selected to be in that Gen Con Film Festival. They approved his yep. film, and uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. So if you've not seen Chris's It Figures little short video yet, I think it's about 20 minutes long, then I will put a link to that in the show notes so you guys can go and check that out. Um, but <laughs> I thank you for reminding me because <laughs> I was meaning to mention that, but that was not what I was going to say. What I was going to say was that Something I think we should have covered at the beginning, but I would like to cover now, I suppose, in closing, is why this is worth doing. Because of the fact that you could argue, and I think fairly so, once again, especially depending upon the group, that you are inviting drama over what is fundamentally just a game and just a hobby. 
But the reason that I think this still at least might or perhaps probably is worth doing is because of the fact that when everyone gets together, it's not a matter of this is my hobby. Rather, this is time that I have set aside for an activity that depends upon a game master and X number of other players, and their performance is going to affect my enjoyment. And when I've invested a day out of my life, you know, with all the things that I've got going on, I know you guys have going on, and you're choosing to socialize with these people and invest emotionally and socially in that situation, having the ability to affect the way that that plays out, having the ability to say, okay, here's not just what you're doing that annoys me individually, but is actually affecting the quality of experience that I have. I think it's an important outlet for the sake of the people who are investing their time and emotions in the story that you all share. And it can prevent the blow up. That too. It mm-hmm. can prevent the eventual blow up. But you know, if I go to watch a movie, I'm consuming somebody else's product. I mean, I may be giving my time and money to it, but I'm not investing directly into the story. It's very different with a role-playing game. Yeah, and mm. even with a video game, like you're playing it, but it's still the story is on rails. Yeah. But obviously that's not true with a role-playing game. And so if you have that outlet, you have that opportunity to communicate to the other players, this is what I like and this is what I don't like, then, yeah, I mean, there may be some risk about stepping on a landmine, but you are also potentially investing and improving what you get out of that investment. And so that's why I think this is a great idea to at least consider. If anyone tries this, I would love to hear the feedback. I still want to hear how this goes at work the first time you actually participate in this. I'm getting it scheduled. We'll be doing it. Because I have real trouble not picturing this ending poorly. Well, and I haven't been through it, but my team has. So they've They've done done it. it. They've done it before. You just haven't experienced them doing it at work yet. But yeah, so. And if they come back and said, like, this was great, this was really helpful versus... I still hate so-and-so to the stay over what they said. <laughs> I have not heard any long-term ramifications from it, you know, negative-wise. Right. Most of them have said it, it's useful. Mm-hmm. It's maybe not pleasant, but it's useful. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I can get that. All right, then I think that's where we're going to wrap this one up. Once again, check the show notes for a link to the Patreon if you're interested in helping us out there, uh, working towards better chairs, better equipment, getting an audio engineer on full-time, uh, but also, it gives you access to things like actual plays and unedited episodes and all kinds of other bonus content we'll be working on. And also for a link to Chris's It Figures little short video. So if you want to watch that and see what's going to play in a Gen Con and hopefully show up at Gen Con if you're going to be there at the film festival and support him or insult him at least, boo, the <laughs> entire time and uh, demand a recount. Oh, my. All that talk about being butthurt, and we didn't mention the chairs. Yeah, oh, The literal snap. butthurt. But anyway. Well, it's because I'm in a more comfortable chair. So, thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2016. Listeners are free to use this show in any non-commercial endeavor, as long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the Pulp Gamer Media Network of Shows. You can find other great shows in this network at pulpgamer.com.